Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today as the World Bank launches its new education strategy 2020, we are joined from Washington by the World Bank's lead economist, Halsey Rogers, to discuss how we can make the next decade one in which all youth everywhere are in school and learning. Welcome to the EdCast, Halsey. Well, thank you very much, Matt. It's a real pleasure to be here. The world has seen a stunning expansion of educational opportunities that has swept across the developing world. Halsey, do you mind talking a little bit about how far we've come and what are the engines of change and what do they have to be? Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, let me let me just start by saying a word about the, the benefits of education. I think um, we all know from our own lives how important education is, but I, I think it's worth reviewing the research on and really how many benefits uh, it has for people in, in poor countries, uh, especially. Now, at the individual level, it uh, increases the earnings of those who receive education by 5 to 12% for every additional year of education, so it has a direct impact on their family earnings. Uh, it helps countries as a whole to, to escape from, from poverty and low technology traps. Uh, it's been identified by growth economists as one of the most important ways to, to start rapid growth and to make uh, country, countries richer. Uh, it, it helps uh, workers to adjust during, during periods of rapid technological change. They're more flexible and adaptable if they're educated. We also find more educated parents have healthier children, um, like increasing the average of education of women in a society by just one year reduces the rate of, of child deaths by almost 10% in the country as a whole. And we, we find that more educated people can cope better with economic shocks, with environmental shocks, and, and finally it makes for a more engaged and more knowledgeable citizenry. So it really has many benefits. And of course, the lack of educational opportunity that we see in many countries means exactly the opposite. It means uh, worse health, uh, lower economic welfare, uh, poor citizenship behavior, it has all kinds of detrimental effects. And that's why uh, the World Bank and its partners uh, around the world have worked to expand educational opportunity. Now, the, the good news is educational attainment has been, has been expanding around the world for many years. Uh, as countries get more prosperous, they're able to afford more education. Parents want to prepare their children to take advantage of economic opportunities. Um, governments can expand access to, to education, but that progress is really often much too slow. Um, and so over the past two decades, the international community uh, has worked together to try to accelerate the, the pace of expansion of schooling. Um, and there's really been a concerted campaign by governments, donors, and NGOs, the private sector, uh, over the past two decades. What set this off was the international community uh, mobilizing in, in 1990 at the Jomtien Conference in Thailand with the Education for All Goals, known as EFA, which uh, set targets to get everybody into school and to make sure all children have the opportunity at a minimum to complete primary school around the world and uh, also that we uh, attain, that we make sure that girls have as many opportunities as boys because often uh, they're at a disadvantage. Um, and so it, the uh, international community reiterated this in, in 2000 with the, the Millennium Development Goals declared by the United Nations, again, to try to achieve universal primary education and also equal opportunities for girls and boys. 
The result of that is, has been that the number of out-of-school children has fallen by 38 million children since 1999. Um, we've also had major advances toward making sure that girls get equal opportunities with boys. Um, two decades ago, we just had about 84 girls in school for every 100 boys uh, around in the poor, poorer countries of the world. Now it's almost even at 96 girls for every 100 boys. Um, the World Bank has done a lot to contribute to this progress. Uh, what we do is work with governments to help them expand and improve their education systems. We do this through lending to governments um, at, at very low interest rates for the poorest countries, and we also carry out research and analysis on the best ways to achieve progress in education. Um, all that said, so there's been a great deal of progress. At the same time, there are, there are still big challenges. Um, one of them is getting the remaining children in school. There's still 68 million children out of school today. Um, many times these are the poorest and most disadvantaged children, uh, especially girls, but also children from poor families, those with disabilities, those living in remote villages, um, ethnic and linguistic minorities. They're all lagging behind, so that's one problem. Another problem is that these uh, out-of-school children are really concentrated in a lot of the poorest countries. So half of them are in Africa, and, and South Asia is home to another quarter of the out-of-school children. So we need to focus our efforts on getting those children into school. Elsie, I guess a good question here is there's a difference between schooling and learning. Let's talk about the concept of learning, which is really at the heart of the World Bank's new strategy. What do we mean in a practical sense by learning, and why is this the clincher? Yeah, that's, that's a very important question, and one that we focus the new strategy on, is, as you noted. The title of our new strategy is, is Learning for All. Uh, why do we focus on that? Well, partly in the past, when we've talked about trying to attain universal primary education, that's often measured first by enrollment, making sure that all children get into primary school. Um, but the problem is uh, enrollment rates are only part of the battle. We also have to have children complete, at a minimum, primary school. And many children, especially those from the poor and disadvantaged populations, start school but then drop out. Um, so yes, we are still trying to get children into school, but even in countries that have done a good job at, like, at that, like Indonesia, which is now a, a middle-income country, not one of the very poorest, um, and virtually all children do start primary school there, but by sixth grade, something like 20% of the poorest children have dropped out. Um, so we need to track completion, too, to make sure that children are able to, to complete what they started, because they're not likely to learn much if they're just in school for a couple of years and then drop out. But beyond that, uh, there's really an increase in recognition that schooling is not the same as learning, even if you do manage to stay in school. Um, and why is that? Well. Sometimes uh, the, the conditions in the classroom don't allow much learning. Uh, I mean, can learning really happen if you have 100 students in the classroom, as we see in, in some places in Africa that have made really good progress toward getting children into school? Uh, also, can, can learning happen if teachers are absent from school themselves 25 to 30 percent of the time, as we often see in India and Pakistan? Um, so often when we have the school buildings, we have the teachers, uh, the, those resources aren't used well, and so we don't get a lot of learning. And we have increasing evidence that there's a, a learning crisis in many parts uh, of the globe for reasons like these, even, even when children are in school. Um, I mean, in some poor countries, we find that only 10 to 50 percent of third graders can read a simple sentence. Even 
even when uh, youth have, have graduated from primary school, so they've been in school at least six years, we find that between a quarter and a half of all the youth in those countries still can't read a single sentence. Um, so it, it, basic literacy is often lacking, uh, basic numeracy as well. I mean, we found uh, in the Philippines, uh, about nine out of 10 of every 14-year-old uh, is in school or is enrolled in school, but only half of those can do just the most basic math. To take a concrete example that a colleague of mine uh, showed me in, in Punjab, Pakistan, Punjab province of Pakistan, if you give fourth and fifth graders a basic problem about dividing a length of string into four equal parts, less than a quarter of them know that you should set it up mathematically as a division problem rather than addition or subtraction or multiplication. So we have these evidence of severe uh, learning difficulties. Um, education is so important, it can be absolutely transforming in the lives of individuals and communities and nations, as, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, take a look at, at South Korea, um, which is one of our sterling examples of a country that went from being a low-income country to a high-income country in, in half, a, half a century, just two generations. Many growth economists believe that education deserves much of the credit for that. Um, personally, I, I had the good fortune of living in Korea in the late 1980s, about halfway through that transformation from low to high-income country, and I was able to see firsthand just how devoted to education people are in Korea, and the government is. The, the problem is, um, this is the opportunity, but the problem is the benefits of education only accrue if you have true learning. Um, you, you need the literacy and numeracy, basic literacy and numeracy as foundational skills uh, to build a lifetime of learning on. Um, there's a, a recent study by some leading education economists that shows that growth of an economy, uh, of a whole economy, depends not on the number of years that children spend in the classroom, meaning the average, average years of schooling, but on how much they learn. There are these international tests that uh, your listeners may have, have heard of um, that assess how well countries are doing, and they find, these, these economists uh, f find that the poverty reduction economic growth really depend on what students have learned in the classroom, how well they've done on those tests, not how many years they've spent in the classroom. And so we need to make sure that we have these gains in basic education, improved learning, and that they continue into secondary school um, during, during adolescence, which is a critical period in the life of many youth. I think it's really important to now focus on you know, the solutions. What is the World Bank doing to make sure that children not aren't just in school, but they're also learning? How can we ensure that children actually learn? What is the World Bank's vision? Yeah, we've laid out this, our vision in the, the new education strategy that we've just come out with. As I mentioned, the title is Learning for All. That's, that's the goal of the strategy, and we believe this is a shared goal that the development community can rally around. I, personally, I think the first step is just to keep in mind those three words, learning for all, when we assess, when we try to decide on education programs and policies, or, or even programs and policies in other sectors like health that are supposed to benefit education, we need to ask ourselves, does this program or does this new policy, does it advance the goal of learning for all? And I think that takes us a long way toward achieving the goal. If we just keep in mind that schooling is not the same as learning, we have to make sure that it's converting into learning. Um, next, how do we achieve this goal? In the strategy, we try to keep it simple. We summarize with three phrases, which is uh, invest early, invest smartly, and invest for all. 
by invest early, we mean start before the, the primary school years. There's a lot of evidence, increasing amount of evidence in recent years that it really matters uh, that, that, that the amount of uh, nutrition, the amount of stimulation that children get in the years before that they enter primary school are really crucial for, for their ability to learn, both for what they've learned by the time they get to primary school and, and for how much they'll be able to learn, how well their brains have developed and how much they'll be able to learn in primary school. Um, I heard some very interesting research presented just, just today by a colleague uh, that uh, shows that in the, in the three years from age three to age six, you find, and this is an example from, from Ecuador, you find that the poorest and, and uh, children from the poorest and richest households actually are do pretty similarly on vocabulary when they're three years old. But by the time they're six years old, the, the poorest uh, quarter of, of students, of, of children, have fallen way behind the, the, richer, the richer peers. And so the, this, this is a problem really around the world, that we find that because uh, children in some households are deprived, um, they are not getting the stimulation they need. And so invest early means invest in the early childhood development programs um, that, that improve nutrition and education of children before they come to primary school. Secondly, invest smartly. What this means is both measuring learning and then focusing on our investments and interventions that have been proven to, to improve learning, improve education outcomes. Um, sometimes this will mean investing in things like school buildings and textbooks and teacher training, but often it will it'll mean investing in ways to, to improve the way uh, having those buildings and, and textbooks and teachers leads to, to more learning. So that can mean things like um, accountability, making sure that you've set up systems that keep uh, teachers accountable for learning or, um, or that involve uh, parents in the management of schools, both of which have, have been shown to help improve learning outcomes. In investing smartly could also mean investing in programs outside the education sector. There's a nice example of deworming where they find that uh, Children in some poor countries in Africa learn poorly in part because they're sick. They have uh, intestinal worms, and they find that if you just spend a few pennies to deworm these children, they learn much more rapidly. Um, so sometimes the cost-effective interventions and investing smartly will come from outside the education sector. And, and third, invest for all. Um, this means we need to make sure we educate disadvantaged communities, including in, in fragile, what we call fragile and conflict-affected states, so countries that are affected by war or by very poor governance. Um, and this learning for all focus really strengthens our focus on, on improving equity and making sure that we don't just get disadvantaged in children into school, but also make sure that they don't fall further behind, further and further behind while they're in school in terms of learning. Elsie, it seems like a, a large piece of the execution of this idea is skill development. You know, I'm curious, what are the skills, why are they important, and how are they aligned with you know, the demands of a global labor market? Well, and, and that is one of the focuses of the, of, of the strategy. And focusing on learning for all and measuring learning outcomes uh, and advocating measuring learning outcomes and tracking them and making sure that we're achieving learning outcomes, what we're doing is saying, look, uh, Children and youth need to make sure that they have real skills, real marketable skills, when they leave their uh, schooling. 
Um, these include hard skills, what we think of as hard skills, like literacy and numeracy and more advanced uh, versions of those. They also include uh, soft skills, like um, just uh, simply knowing how to communicate more effectively, knowing how to work in teams, uh, dependability, uh, all the types of things that we know contribute beyond uh, your, your cognitive skills in, in making you a, a more effective, uh, more productive member of the workforce. Um, and, and these soft skills are also important for building these tolerant, interdependent societies and making citizens more engaged, uh, and as I mentioned before, making uh, workers more productive and flexible. Um, so we think that focusing on learning for all will uh, improve the, the way that education systems focus on whether or not uh, youth are leaving school with these skills. Um, this issue has come to the fore a bit with uh, the, the Arab Spring. Um, one of the phenomena that's helping to give rise to dissatisfaction in, in the countries where we've seen it across the Middle East and North Africa is high levels of youth unemployment. And these are caused in part by labor market mismatches, by skills uh, not matching what's needed in the workforce and uh, youth leaving school without, them, without the proper skills. I mean, at, at the end of the day, people want to earn a livelihood for their families, and education is one of the keys that can open doors and, and break the intergenerational cycle of poverty, but this, it's really the skills that open those doors. It's not the number of years sitting at a desk in the classroom. And if you think about it, what employer will pay uh, an employee for the number of years sitting behind a desk uh, rather than earning experience in the labor market and, unless that graduate really acquired real knowledge and skills while in school. Halsey, in the final minutes of this show, a couple final points. The education strategy, it emphasizes some real priority areas, one of them being systems-based reform and creating a global knowledge base for reform. Can you talk a little bit about what the World Bank's vision and work is in these areas? Uh, sure. On the, on the, you mentioned the two strategic thrusts that we talked about. One, one is working with systems. And what that means is uh, in the past often there's been a tendency of, of donors or of governments to think that if we invest in school buildings, if we invest in training teachers, we will get the educational results we want. We'll get children in school and then we'll get them learning. And what we've seen over and over and what the, the evidence in the learning crisis is showing us is that it's not enough just to build the buildings and not, it's not enough just to buy the textbooks or to train the teachers. We really need to look system-wide. We need to do the analysis to figure out what is failing in the system, what is working, what is failing. We need to scale up what's working um, and we need to uh, fix whatever is failing. And we find a lot of what is failing, as I mentioned before, is, is the idea of accountability. There's too little accountability often in these systems. Um, people aren't focused on learning. Uh, maybe the, the training isn't as effective as it should be. Um, parents or beneficiaries, uh, employer, employers are not involved in helping to set the goals for the education systems. There are a lot of these, um, it's, in many cases, it's these interconnections that uh, drive the, the conversion of, of inputs, schools and buildings and textbooks, into learning. And it's those, those connections, those links in the chain that are, that are breaking down. Um, so the system approach means focusing on the whole system and figure out 
focus our efforts on on what's working and and uh, and on scaling back what's not working. Uh, the second point uh, you mentioned the the knowledge approach. So the the World Bank is working to make itself a, a global knowledge bank. Um, I think knowledge is crucial because especially in education, uh, the World Bank or international donors in general, we can contribute only a fraction of the total spending for education. Governments spend much more, households spend much more. So the way we're going to have a lot of our effect is through improving knowledge about what works and what, what doesn't. Uh, so that means investing in tools like learning, learning assessments, figuring out what students are learning, what they aren't. Uh, doing I what we impact evaluations to figure out what programs are most effective. Uh, we have a new program called Saber, which is aiming at uh, assessing the quality of education policies in countries. Um, it's it's a country-driven approach of helping countries collect data on education and use evidence-based policy making and, and learning from best practices around the world. Um, so those those are the two strategic thrusts. Hailsley, just any final thoughts kind of uh, on putting this whole strategy together? Anything concluding for our listeners to kind of get a real sense of the, the thrust of this strategy? Well, uh, thanks, Matt. I, I think really, as I said, we just want to leave people with the words learning for all. I mean, uh, as we were developing this strategy over the past year and a half, we had an unprecedented process of consultation around the world with people from over 100 countries. And we found that this message of learning for all resonated really widely. And it's, it's a type of message that development partners can, can coalesce around. That, and uh, this is really crucial because no one organization or government is going to achieve learning for all on its own. And so we need governments, we need households, we need uh, donors like the World Bank, and we need the people listening to this podcast to, to join in this effort. So I, I thank you for the opportunity to reach out to people. This is a, just a great way to spread the word about learning for all. The learning for all and sort of teaching by all. Halsey Rogers, thank you so much for appearing on the show and uh, good luck with this strategy. Uh, thank you very much, Matt. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.